uh, do thank you for the work that you're doing in this young man's life, and we thank you, Lord, for his heart to impact other people um, through his studies, and and Lord, as you as you shape him as a as a man of God as well, and Lord, we pray that you continue to um, work in his life in a dramatic way as you draw him closer to yourself, and that always comes as he mentions with resistance and um, battles from our enemy. And so we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen him for that. Pray, Lord God, for this summer um, trip that he is uh, planning to be a part of. We pray, Lord God, that you would bring the financial support for that and that you would be um, preparing him already for what you have to teach him through that. Thank you, Lord God, for the ministry that he's able to be a part of. We pray, Lord, that you bless it as well. We enter into your our, our time in your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time for us. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So we are in these weeks right now uh, re-looking at the, the purpose of harvest and um, today this morning we're looking at the idea of being equipped for ministry. You know, as a, as a seminary student, I remember a particular project that we uh, were responsible for doing and and um, I was a part-time youth pastor at the time, so I was I was able to be doing a lot of what I was learning in in ministry and in real life application and things like that. And this particular project that I had to do had to do with um, kind of organizing a ministry philosophy in terms of laying out a process for growth in which a person would be able to if they took advantage of it and if the Holy Spirit were to work in their lives, that they would be able to grow and be prepared for ministry and stuff. And I was, and I was kind of so proud of this kind of uh, object lesson or illustration that I had developed for this that was, uh, was like people climbing a mountain. And if I, I think if I remember, it would have involved like the first level of that mountain was becoming a part of a a a congregation and another or or maybe even being introduced to Christ and, and receiving him as 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 person savior and another level is being a part of a congregation, another level is being discipled, and another level is being kind of equipped for ministry. Um and then as a part of that, I think that and I use these little little people called screen beans. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like kind of old school clip art type thing. And uh, as a part of that, I think I had people kind of like parachuting off of the top of the mountain to go down and, and help the others as, as they were climbing the mountain. I was so proud of this, this illustration. Um, and uh, my cousin, uh, Judah, who's younger than me, he's a, a second cousin, I think it's called, and he was he was there with me, and we were hanging out a little bit. Uh, he lived in the town where where the seminary was that I attended, and he was there with me as I was getting my 
my stuff out of of my post office box there at the seminary, and my my paper was there with this project on it, and I was so proud. I was like, "Hey, look at this! You know, this is like what I developed for this and stuff, and all this, and and it had all these different terms on it, like." challenge and teach and disciple and equipping and equipping was like the main part of this you know how to be equipped for ministry how do we equip people for ministry and you know it it took him no time at all to see what he saw and it really one of the first things that helped me to realize I am not a details person I'm a big picture person I'm not a details person and so my my cousin Judah looks right at my paper and goes, equipping? I'm like, what? Equipping is what I had. E-P-U-I-P-P-I-N-G. And here's my, you know, this is what I turned in. This was, and I think it was even on the cover. Equipping. And it took him like half a second. I can't stand that. But... Um, I have sent out so many letters when I was a youth pastor that, and newsletters that went through proofing with a secretary and all these things. I read over them. They come to the mail and Kelly's like opens it up right here and she's like, I can't believe you missed this. And you know, that was a type of thing. But in that paper, it was the word equipping. Well, here at Harvest, we're not equipping people for ministry. We hope ministry. Ministry. We hope to be equipping people for ministry. Um, you might recall we looked last week, we started to look at this purpose statement of Harvest. We looked at the idea that Harvest exists to exalt God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to establish and edify a caring community of believers. We're spending these weeks being reminded of the purpose of Harvest Fellowship and last week we looked at the great commandments at their, as they're described in the Old Testament and by Jesus. And the, they're called the great commandments because they're a call to followers of Christ to love God with all of ourselves and to love others as much as we love ourselves, which is huge. They're called the Great Commandments because of the fact that they summarize all of what if we are commanded to be doing as followers of Christ. They also highlight something that we emphasized last week. And that's this, that obeying God starts with love, it flows from love, and it leads to greater love for God and a greater love for others. In one sense, the Great Commandments tell us what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. What a disciple of Christ is to be growing into. Um, we, if, as you recall, we were told, go there for, I'm sorry, this is, that's the great, I probably have the great commandments over on this slide. So we'll, we'll learn from both of them here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandments. What a disciple of Christ must be growing into. Now next week, um, Brad Grayson is going to be sharing about um, sharing with us an update on Brandon and his and his family in St. Kitts. And as a part of that, Brad's going to be teaching on the Great Commission. Um, 
which is what a disciple of Christ is to be doing. That we are to be making disciples. That we are to be baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And so Brad is going to be sharing um, next week on this idea of the Great Commission. I don't want to steal any of Brad's thunder here, but I'm going to share um, no more details other than this, that the Great Commission commands us to be making fellow followers of Christ. Commands us individually to be making fellow followers of Christ. If you look at it this way, we are be, to be disciples who are making disciples. Um, looking at it from what we learned last week, meaning this means that we are called to be followers of Christ who are loving God and loving others. And the most valuable, the greatest thing that we can do toward loving others and loving God is to be helping others to follow Christ as well. This is a type of cycle that's to, that we're to be a part of and part of what it means to be following Christ. And you see how this kind of works? That we're to be disciples who make disciples, who will be disciples, who are making disciples. And, and making disciples, growing in our walk with the Lord, could be summed up, could be kind of checked on in terms of, is that person loving God more with their lives? Are they growing in a love for others more toward that horizon issue of loving others more than they love themselves? So this is a, is a part of how it fits into the role of harvest. This should be, hopefully, becoming a part of our DNA as followers of Christ. Part of this is what it means that harvest is to be equipping believers for effective ministry. Equipping believers to be discipling, to be discipling one another, but also, well, we'll get into more of that um, as we revisit this through our message. So what is the role of Harvest Fellowship? It's in being a body, the Harvest, being disciples and making disciples. I know that this can be confusing, talking about the roles of Harvest, helping the body of harvest? Are we talking about me as the pastor in helping the body, body of harvest? Well, yes. Are we talking about leadership? Are we talking about small group leaders, children's church teachers, and helping the body of harvest? Yes. Are we talking about the body of harvest in general, helping the body of harvest to grow in what it means to follow Christ? Yes. The big idea here, and you see this in your notes, is is that being equipped for effective ministry for harvest means growing in being like Christ and in being connected to Christ. And we'll see that in our passage this morning as we look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. But let's read that together here. And um, I have the English Standard Version up here on the screen. And again, we just have to land on something that we're reading together here. And that's what I choose says um, in verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may be no longer, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, one of the many principles that we could glean from this passage is that there is a process of growth. And I've kind of just kind of uh, paragraphed this verse so that we can, you can easily see these two verses, verses 11 through 12 of Ephesians chapter 4, so that you can, we can easily move through this in, in terms of its phrases. The context, though, of our passage this morning in chapter 4 is that in which Christ is described as having conquered death. And as a part of his victory, he gave gifts to his followers. He gave gifts to, um, to men, it says. And so while our verses talk specifically about people as gifts here, the context of this chapter 4 is that all believers are gifted for ministry in some way. Further, uh, later in the chapter, Paul describes how a healthy follower of Christ should be able to live a holy life in this world. If you see that um, in your, in your, ver in your uh, Bibles before you, verse 17, you'll see there, it says, Therefore, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So the first application of this, as Paul makes it through the, through the chapter, we don't want to neglect this, is that the first way that we're called to serve Christ is to love him and others in obedience to him amidst a sinful world. Okay, so getting the, laying the context out there. So let's look at the specific people that have been given to the church, as Paul puts it, for his growth here in this process of a body of Christ growing in what it means to follow Christ together. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here. There are different ways to look at um, these offices. But I want to say here, the apostles were those who were sent into the world with a special message of God's plan as it developed over the centuries. The prophets were those who foretold God's events and proclaimed God's revelation in real time. These are historical offices that were foundational to the beginning of the church as the body of Christ. Now, Paul writes earlier about these two offices, describing them as having a foundational function as the church developed. In verses 19 through 20, it says, So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of, God's, of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So we see here that Paul writes of the apostles and prophets earlier in Ephesians as having been foundational to the church's beginning. We see him also write in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the to the sons of men in the, our gen, in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit this mystery is that the gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel so we see here the same idea of the apostles and prophets having been a foundation foundational offices which God used to in developing the doctrine of what it means to be the church specifically in that situation was that gentiles and Jews were the church together as they came to know Christ okay so that aside we're going to come back to our passage here so i'm not saying that there aren't people today who function in a similar way as these people did in biblical times that's not what i'm saying but we're saying in the context of our passage here, the writer is talking about offices that we need not be concerned with as we move through this passage. Okay? So that aside. So, so moving on, he says, and he gave the evangelists. The office of evangelist describes those who have special calling to bring people into the body of Christ. This can include missionaries and parachurch workers like those who work with something like child evangelism fellowship. There are those who have a special calling to be an evangelist, but all followers of Christ, we still have a, are responsible to share the gospel with those who, with whom we have the opportunity. Evangelists are those, though, who have a calling to reach those who are outside and bring them into the body of Christ. And then he has a fourth category here. He gave the, the shepherds and teachers. There are those who have a special calling and responsibility to be ministering within the body of Christ. And I believe the writer intended to connect most of the equipping of the body of Christ that he's talking about in the following verses to this office or person. Um, this is because of the positioning of the terms, and I believe this is because, as I said, of all of these offices, it is the office of those who are ministering within the body of Christ here that he talks about, the shepherds and the teachers, as the ESV puts it. So this leads us to breaking down the clauses here that have to do with the church being equipped. I hope this isn't too academic this morning as we kind of move through this. You know, we spent, you know, a great number of weeks in Daniel, this kind of narrative and apocalyptic literature. Now we're back into this epistle. And some of you might be like, oh, this is what it was like when we were in Colossians. You know, it's like moving through it like a seminary class. So just bear with me. Get back into that epistle mindset here as we move through it. I, I tr Trust me, we will have some good application from this this morning. But we see here the process of growth. And first, in the, the role of the shepherds and teachers we're looking at specifically. Now, grammatically, these terms shepherds and teachers can be understood stood as describing the same role. Okay, but I'm not going to hang my hat on that it's a specific person necessarily, but it's people that are filling that function of shepherding and teaching. Many of your Bibles use the term pastors and teachers. The ESV here emphasizes that this term could include also the offices of overseers, elders, um, and teachers in general. And as a side note, let me just let you know that the elder team here at Harvest, we're in the process of clarifying 
and prayerfully coming to understand what is the role of an elder at harvest, especially in the future for it. So without having established that clearly for the coming future, we're going to approach this um, this morning mainly about my role as a pastor, but, but also in general as, as any of us, as, as teachers and disciplers and elders and pastor um, as well. So, so there's a specific that I'm going to be referring to here of my role as equipping you for ministry, but there, there are times when this also reflects anyone that, that's being put into leadership in a teaching position, and that's why it's important for us as overseers to be responsible with that, who we put into those. So yeah, hopefully you'll understand that a little bit. Okay, so this idea of equipping the saints, that we have the role of, and that, that our purpose statement says that Harvest Fellowship exists to equip believers for effective ministry. As it's used here um, in describing shepherding teachers, the term equip means to return something to its perfect working condition. This points to the discipling process that God uses to bring a person into a healthy relationship with him, healthy growing relationship with him. You see this happen through their being involved in gospel-centered ministry. Uh, we'll see this as we move through the passage that equipping um, leads to a person being bound together with other followers of Christ, pouring into each other as, a, as the body of Christ, and it's so that they can be involved. It, it, it comes from them being involved in gospel-centered ministry and so that a person can be involved in gospel-centered ministry. Um, it makes me think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul here in Ephesians is giving us all later in his book an idea that we are prepared for good works by being equipped for good works. This term equipping. And we also understand, of course, from Ephesians 2 that our good works are a result of our salvation. They're not done in hopes of receiving salvation. They're done on the other side the other end of having been saved by God's grace through Christ, having received Christ as our Savior. So we're prepared for these good works through being equipped for them. Um, this, this term of being returned to perfect working condition has a sort of a redemptive sense to it. If you think about how when a person is being redeemed by the Lord, when they receive Christ as their Savior, they're being returned back partially to that relationship that we had with Him in the garden before sin came into existence. And it's the, the fully, fully understanding of that is going to be when we're with Him in His presence. But being equipped for ministry is a partial kind of additionally being returned to a healthy relationship with Him in which we're learning from Him and we're ministering as a part of as He leads us to. I think of how a pit crew brings an Indy car back into perfect racing condition between each race. That's the idea here. In the same way, the shepherd or the shepherds of our congregation have this special task of shepherding followers of Christ 
to a place where they're growing and they're obeying God out of love for Him and out of love for others and, and being ready for ministry. We learn about in, from Second Timothy that this is a main tool for this work. The main tool for this work is what it's intended to be. Where he writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the train, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's word has been given to us as our first tool for equipping God's people for service. We're going to be getting into in the coming weeks the, the values of harvest. What it, what is the harvest way of doing things? And one of the first things I noticed in coming here and, and that I want to accentuate as your pastor is that one of the top ways that we do things here is under the authority of God's Word. And that's part of what Paul is pointing to here. Um, that as he, as he mentions in Second Timothy here, the man of God, that, it, that, that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. We do what we do under the authority of God's Word. So this brings us to the role of the follower of Christ. This, you, could, you could say the person sitting in the pew, the person sitting in the chair, um, for, for yourselves. I don't want to separate myself from you with that. I hope you see I'm uncomfortable doing that. But it's for the work of the ministry the saint is equipped. The grammar of this verse connects what's here, getting academic here, the, per, the preposition of direction. The, it, it connects this preposition of direction of for the work of the ministry to the equipping of the saints, meaning... It's the, the equipping should be for the moving of the saints in the direction of ministry. So the work of the ministry is what the saints should be equipped to do, as Pat, this verse is saying. It's contrary to how much of church ministry has been mainly thought of over the last several decades. But I'll say that I don't think that it's a very foreign idea here at Harvest. And I'll speak to that in a moment here. But Warren Wearsby states it well. He says, The saints do not call a pastor to pay him to do the work. Says Warren Wearsby. They call him to follow his leadership as he, through the word, equips them to do the job. The members of the church grow by feeding on the word and ministering to each other. Now I could just close it up right there. I think he puts it really well. I know having a pitch in today, you hope I will, but we're not going to. We're going to keep going. But this is reflected in our purpose statement as a church. Harvest exists to equip, to equip believers for effective ministry. This is also reflected in, again, the way that things are done at Harvest. What I observed, what I was told as soon as coming here, is that Everything that we do, we want it to be that the body of harvest is doing the ministry of harvest. The body of harvest is doing the ministry of harvest. Again, I'll get more into, in the coming weeks, the values of harvest. But this is why, in coming here, I didn't find an office for the pastor. And I'm good with that. Um, you know, I do a lot of ministry during the week, that's for sure. Um, 
Uh, it's why in coming here, I, I wasn't greeted by a, a secretary or receptionist. Not down in that, not dogging that. But, you know, I'm not, don't mean to be dogging the way other churches do this, but this is the way that we do things here. The ministry of harvest is meant to be done by the body of harvest. And that's a major value that we have as a church. It's, it's my job then to equip you for ministry with clear, direct teaching from God's Word. Also, it's done by the elders, by the small group leaders, by children's church teachers, by anyone who's discipling someone else. In this church, the job there is to equip that person through God's Word, through their a walk with God, understanding His Word, responding to His Word, responding to His leading. If they follow Christ, the job of the whole body of Christ is then summed up as building up the body of Christ, though. The role of the whole body, as I put it. This idea of the body of Christ being built up is better explained here in the next few verses, but I believe that the idea here is that strengthening of the body of Christ is the goal of all of our work. It's the goal of those who teach God's word at the body of, to the body of harvest. It's, it should be the goal of our small group leaders. It should be the goal of our children's church teachers. It should be all of our goal to be strengthened, to be built up as the body of believers at harvest. It's the goal of the body of harvest to be doing the ministry of harvest, to be strengthening the body of harvest as we do the ministry, but also as we, as we learn ourselves. You know, in our personal times with the Lord, you know, it's not all about our relationships here. Obviously, it's about relationships outside of here and things like that. But in our personal times with the Lord, we should be seeing things and realizing, okay, I need to learn this because I'm, it's my job to build up the body. I need to be growing because it's my job to be building the body of harvest. That's what he's stating here. If you explain it through the purpose statement, it would look like this. It would look like the, the, the body of Christ strengthening the body as they grow as followers of Christ by loving God and loving others. Also, the body of Christ adding to the body as they reach out to others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if we described what the effective ministry of the body of Christ should look like, you could divide it up into loving God, loving others, and impacting the world. That simple. But the process of growth as we see here in the summary statement in your notes, the process of growth involves God's word being taught and responded to with ministry that strengthens the body of Christ. You know, a compass is a really useful tool. I learned recently how um, you could use a compass and you could you can cite certain landmarks, and with a typographical map you could pick those landmarks out on the map and through the angle of those landmarks, you can figure out exactly where you are on a map. You know, compass is a really useful tool for navigating and things, especially if you're lost. Um, but no one uses a compass to finally get to true north. You know, nobody's like, I'm, I, you know, I'm just going where it points me. You know, I'm hoping I'm going to get there one day. You know, and then they're just like, I, 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 I got sick of that compass because it just kept pointing me, but it never told me when I was there. Right? That's what our purpose statement is like, though. It's like a compass. 
Our purpose as a church is intended to give us the direction that we're to be moving in. But we'll never get there. We'll never impact all of Montgomery County. We'll never impact all of the world. But this is the direction we should be moving in. But let me just explain to you real quick what I believe vision to be as it fits into this. A church's vision is where we believe we can be after a certain amount of time as we continue to move in that direction. Um, it's a snapshot. That's what the idea of vision is. It's a snapshot of what things could be like or what things should be like as we move in the direction of our purpose and get over the horizon a little bit. What's on the other side? As we move in the way of, in the direction of our purpose and if our, as our movement is shaped by our values, vision is what should it look like once we move a little further, assuming we're moving, right? It's dangerous for a church to stop moving. Because then you say, well, there's our purpose over there. But if you're not moving toward it, what good is it? Right? So here's a teaser of the vision, if you will, that I believe that God wants to lead us into in the next five years. We'll, we'll speak more explaining of this in, in, in the future here. But just, as I said, it's a teaser. What, it's what I believe can be over the horizon for us if we're willing to move toward our purpose as a church. I believe it's what, it, that God wants you as harvesters to be equipped in two areas of ministry. And the first of those is that for harvesters to be living on gospel mission in our daily lives. To be living on gospel mission in our daily lives. This means, though, that we need to be equipped in understanding what the gospel means for us as followers of Christ, what it means for, for us to walk in who we are in Christ. This means being equipped in understanding the importance of the gospel for our friends and our family and our neighbors. This means, in being, in, this means being equipped in understanding how to share the gospel when we have the opportunity. Now, if you list those things off, you realize, okay, yeah, I can see that taking us quite a while to get there. Because first of all, when I said on gospel mission in your lives, most of you went, what? Well, it takes us time to get to where the response is like, yeah, absolutely. I can see that. It takes time to get there. Okay? And... I like to think of myself as kind of a patient shepherd. Um, but the other of these two specific areas of ministry that I believe that God wants us to arrive at as we get over the horizon over the next five years or so is that for harvesters to be living in biblical relationships in their homes. Starting with equipping the men of harvest as husbands and fathers and as godly men of our community. Leading to, hopefully, in our being able to challenge the men of Crawfordsville and of Southern Montgomery County to be men of God. And being able to say, we can show you what that looks like. We can live it out. So those are the two areas, the vision that God is giving me and the leadership 
over the next five years, and, and we'll we'll explain that greater in, in in the future here. But you'll hear be hearing a lot more about that. So moving here to point two, don't worry, these are faster. Um, number two here that we see in our passage is the goal of growth. Paul writes until, and this is a a, a preposition that leads into the idea of what you know. Where, when do we know we got there? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal of our growth is that is our common knowledge of God and maturity in Christ with He Himself as our standard of maturity. We see these same sort of horizon issues that we talked about from Paul here in Ephesians. He writes about specifics of the direction that we're to be continuing to move in. It's almost like Paul's writing kind of a purpose statement himself. This is another way of stating the horizon issue, I think, of loving God with all of ourselves and, uh, and loving others as much as ourselves. We'll never get there, but it's what we're working, what we continually work toward. Paul's talking about the unified maturity of the followers of Christ here when he talks about until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This maturity involves us being unified in what we understand about God. It also involves us being unified in our experiential knowledge of Christ, experiencing Him independently, but being unified in that. And he's talking about all of the body of Christ coming to a maturity that matches the fullness of Christ. You see what I'm saying? This is Paul's, you know, one of Paul's horizon issues. It's, it's what we just continue to move toward. It's impossible to reach this level of perfect maturity in any one of us, let alone all of us equally at the same time in unity. This is why I, I believe Paul's giving us a glimpse of what is true north on that compass for Christ's body, the church. We see here the goal of equipping the saints for ministry. And I believe that our purpose statement matches this very well. Um, but I think that it's important to point out here the personal nature, though, of Paul's words in these verses as opposed to the previous. Verses 11 through 12 describing the equipping of the saints in the effort of the officers of the church. But 13 through 14 seem to be pointing to what should be the personal goal of individual followers of Christ. So let me ask you this, for instance. How good could a basketball team be if each player had a different goal in mind that they were trying to accomplish in order to score points? Okay, what if one teammate, if you asked him, he said, well, well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the ball to go up through the bottom of the hoop. Then you asked another one, and he's like, well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get the ball to get wedged between the back of the goal and the backboard. And you ask the other one, he's like, well, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to bounce the ball off, to the, off of the head of the coach of the opposing team. And this is all their idea of what it means to score a goal. They're not going to be putting too many points on the board, right? They might accomplish their individual goals, but it's not going to matter on the board. Paul's giving us an idea of what scores points on the board if you will, the kind of odd illustration, I guess. But 
we see here that we're to be growing in our faith and our experiential knowledge of Christ. We're to be doing this equipped by the teaching of God's Word and being involved in ministry to others. We're to, we're to see this that our standard is not other followers of Christ. Our standard is Christ himself, pointing to, again, the fact that when we're being discipled and when we're discipling someone else, it's about connecting that person to Christ. I think a lot of times we feel really awkward suggesting to someone that maybe we could help them in their walk with Christ because we think that we're asking them to learn how to follow us. When it's not about that. It's about, can I help you to follow Christ better? With Christ as your measure with maturity in Christ being what we're shooting for here. So I, I think that's freeing in some way. Our standard is the fullness of Christ himself. And we see here also the results of growth in verses 14 through 16, which we'll divide up here. But he says, so that, a result statement here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up, so that it builds itself up in love. The results of growth are that we are stable in our faith and functioning in connection with Christ. Now just dividing this up here, the first of these results, we're no longer unstable in our faith, he says. So that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul mixes metaphors here, if you notice. The, uh, describing the difference that should that growth should make in our lives. He uses the metaphor of a child, and he also uses the, a second metaphor of waves being tossed to and fro by wind. Okay? and Or of us being tossed in those waves as they're driven by wind of doctrine. I guess you could picture, combine these two in, as an unstable toddler playing on a beach. You know, just maybe admiring a shell you guys have seen this. Maybe, maybe you've seen it on Funnest Home Videos or you guys as grandparents have had a good laugh with this. Um, you know, maybe the toddler's kind of feeling the sand in their toes. Uh, suddenly, he's knocked over and covered in water because he didn't notice that there was a wave building up and about to crash in on him. His instability combined with his naivety amount to a wipeout. We're told here that immaturity amounts to being tossed around by cunning, crafty, and deceitful schemes. These are people that actually teach doctrine or teach junk science that is meant to deceive us. I'm not going to go into listing off people that, that I think could fit into that, but a person who's being equipped and growing toward the goal of the fullness of Christ should be less like a child in their understanding of false teaching. 
They should be able to better discern what is true about God and about people. You know, in my teaching from God's Word, I hope to be equipping you to be able to discern truth. For instance, this is why I we we look at things and 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 try to see how we navigate use the truth to navigate between um, man-centered idolatry and God-centered worship. This is because I believe this is a timeless dividing line between deceitful teaching and biblical truth. And I hope that you get to where you can see that as as it's posed to you. Wait a second, this looks like a just this person just telling me if I just offer you know, part of myself or part of what God's given me to this idol, then, then I'll get what I want or what I need. Wait, that's man-centered idolatry. That goes back to the garden. That's what I hope that you're able to discern as we grow together. I also try to illustrate how, you know, ideas from the sermons flow from the truth of the passage. That's a big part of why we use PowerPoint, because we want to equip you for being able to study the Scriptures, to draw out eternal principles from the Scriptures yourself, to grow in that way, to be able to spot biblical teaching as well as unbiblical ideas. Kind of like, okay, where'd that come from? To be able to ask that question. I hope that you can see that this is why we as leadership might have to say at times, you know, we don't approve of this book or, or of this doctrine. Yeah, I hope you see the important part of shepherding the church in that way. This is also why we hold to the idea that when we come to a corporate bo- when we come together as a corporate body, we're here to hear from the authoritative Word of God. It's also why we ask, why I ask that you would please point out to me if you observe that something that I have taught. Uh, doesn't seem to be in agreement with God's Word. That's what it means for you and me to both be under the authority of God's Word. Under the authority of God's Word, you have every right to come to me and say, I don't see how that's biblical. And, And I would appreciate that. As a result of our growing in Christ, we should be less likely tossed around by deceitful doctrines. But also, the expected result of growth is that we are growing in Christ and in connection with Christ. Now, for those of us that are not necessarily medically inclined, this kind of sounds weird. (laughs) It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So he's describing like a human body. From whom the whole body, so the head is Christ, and the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so as to build itself up in love. So the picture here is the as a body being made up of different parts with Christ as its head. We've seen this in Colossians 2.19. Uh, there Paul warned how we can be pulled away by deceptive teaching. He describes the danger of slipping away from a close walk with Christ in this way. He describes it as not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That's how he describes it in Colossians. So, 
you know, I read one author that said that 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 um, pastors and and teachers are being described here as being those joints with which everybody is equipped. I think that's maybe a little too specific. Um, maybe I just don't like being described as a grisly piece of cartilage um, and stuff. But um, notice though um, that the main idea here is for us that being discipled or learning to follow Christ better is about growing and being connected to Christ, the head, again. It's not just about getting more connected to some guru of the Christian faith or some technique. It's about being connected to Christ. But, but he's also talking about being the idea of being connected to Christ through being connected to his body the body of Christ, right? And he says, speaking the truth in love, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice how the body of Christ grows and becomes stronger, enabled to make greater impact for him, if you will. It's, it's in the combination of truth being shared in love. It's also by each part growing in Christ and allowing Him to mold us into proper working. Also, once again, we see that the body of Christ builds itself up in love. Um, the body ministering to the body. You know, if you follow this idea that pat, uh, shepherds and teachers are the joints and, and um, people in the body, they're not shepherds and teachers, are the the parts of those joints, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to scratch something with your elbow. It doesn't work. You need the other part of your body. You know, and that's kind of what he's describing, that the body ministers to the body. The body strengthens the rest of the body. The body, the parts of the body, you guys build up the body in love. And we, we got into that last week of, of how we grow in our love for God and our love for each other, and that prepares us better to minister to the body in love as well. Um, when I came to Harvest, you know, I found a number of people that that had been newly made responsible for ministry. And what I appreciated in seeing that, and I shared this with a lot of people, that that ministry wasn't being held on to like this. It was being held on to like this. And we want to do things as we shape the ministry of Harvest to keep ministry held on to like this. You know, we're doing things like surrounding people with teams of people to help in the ministry. And one of the goals of each of those teams is, is, is when there's a ministry opportunity, we've got to get the word out. We've got to spread that ministry out across the body. You know, even if it's swinging a hammer or signing up for snacks or praying for the body, we, we want to get that word out. Um, so if we're holding on to ministry and nodding allow, not allowing it to be experienced by others, we're not helping the body of Christ build itself up in love. Um, if we live, if I live for some sort of personal legacy rather than for Christ's glory, I'm not allowing the body to build itself up in love. Each person must be doing their part. Each of us must be doing our part um, in order to help 
our future, our vision become clearer as we move toward it. But, um, but I, I do want to say you, ha you need to be here to be a part of that. Um, the average church attendance is two out of five Sundays in America. Two out of five Sundays. And I can tell you, someone, two out of five Sundays, is not going to be a part of that body in the way that they need to be in order to be building that body up in love. It's about being connected and, and being here. I know a lot, of, a lot of you folks work in shift work. There's a way that you can stay connected. Listen to the messages. Be a part of the small group if you can, if you will. You know, one of the parts that we are looking into as leadership is how do we disciple people that work shift work? You know, in personal relationships, in one-on-one in -on -one time, and things like that. Because we want to be discipling people. We don't want the fact that, that you know, you're four on, four off to eliminate you from being a vital part of this body. Um, you know, if we're keeping a record of wrongs and bitterness, we're not helping this body be built up in love. If we're not growing in a regular time with the Lord ourselves, we're not strengthening our part in order to help the whole body be built up in love. We have to be connected. Um, you know, I, I was going to tease Bill. He, he had to get out to his uh, play today. But, you know, ask Bill how well that finger of his is helping out around the shop, the, the part that got cut off. You know, it, you just have to throw it away. It's not helpful to the rest of the body anymore because it's disconnected. And that's what Paul is saying. Joined together by the joints, the body, each part, doing its part to build up the body in love. Now I want to close with this. And, um, and I, I, I've said this a lot of times, that, that it's, it's in our times of disappointment with one another that the rubber really meets the road. And relationships involve disappointment, for, for sure. And, and, you know, the first of the Boston bombers this week that was killed, Tamerlan, I think his name was, or doesn't matter. Uh, he was shot by police and he was taken to the ER at Beth Israel Hospital. Uh, what was amazing to me is that same at that same hospital, 12 of the victims of Monday's bombing were just starting their long recovery. And here was brought in this man and they were attempting to save his life. I was reminded of the fact that we are a body of believers who may have hurt each other at times. Maybe there's bad blood that goes back years. I don't know. But God has brought us all here to grow and to be equipped for ministry. We're all covered, covered in God's grace when we receive Christ as our Savior. There's nothing that anyone has done to us that was not paid for on the cross. That's the basis for our, our relationships together in love. It's not a love of our own creation. It's a love that flows from the spring of living water that we should have within us when we come to know Christ as our Savior. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And the love and forgiveness are the result of God doing some amazing things as he is strengthening his body through its individual parts, and through their relationships with each other. But we are a place made up of people, of relationships, and relationships 
don't always pan out the way we thought they would. And that's the nature of it. But we are to be connected with each other, ministering to each other, building up this body together in Christ. That's what it means. I hope you have a picture then of what it means there that we are to be equipping believers for effective ministry. And, and part of that equipping is letting you guys hang out together in something like a pitch-in. And I hope you're able to stay for it. Another part of that equipping is helping you to know who each other, who each other is. That's just the way to say it. You know, our, we're putting together a photo directory. You know, I've met, I've met a number of people that are like, I don't know any of the people that sit on that other side. I've been here for 15 years. You know, this is, this, is, this is the chance. Get your picture in it. Get to know names. You know, um, so anyways, I'm starting to ramble now. But let me close this in prayer. Father, um, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you praise and honor. We want um, our life together to be about you. Uh, we want it to be magnifying who you are, taking you even though you seem far away and bringing close and helping others and helping ourselves to see just how huge you are and how brilliant you are, like a telescope, we want to do that. Um, Father, we, we don't do that well in our own flesh. Um, we don't do that well in the shape that, that you found us when we called us to be, you called us to be your children. We want to be molded and shaped by your Holy Spirit. We want to be molded and shaped by our relationship with you. Lord, we have to be connected with you to be able to do any of this. And so I pray, Lord, for uh, the body here, that during the week you would draw us into relationship, that you would draw us into your word, um, that you would be uh, ministering to our spirits, convicting us, drawing us to repentance, drawing us to, to celebrating who you are and praising you um, with a heart of thankfulness. Lord, I pray that that um, you'd be drawing us to one another to, to mend any, any hurts between us, to, to um, be able to function as a body uh, uh, with, with ministry flowing between us freely. Lord, I thank you for um, the time of uh, uh, food and fellowship that we have here, and I just pray that you would bless the food and bless our time together. I just pray, Lord God, that it would be a significant time. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.